Hello, you're listening to Gays Gays, in which we're gay and we gaze into media that's by, for, or about ladies who love ladies, and sometimes we talk about other stuff. My name's Erin, and the animals will be wondering where I'm at. And my name's Erin, and selling shoes is the nicest job a girl from my family is supposed to get. Oh! Uh... <laughs> You know what? Selling shoes, it's a lot nicer than podcasting. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, come on. Sorry. That is so mean. It pays more. Oh, you know? <laughs> you know? Woo, happy 2024. Yeah. I'm excited to be back after having COVID-19. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. COVID-19, you should be getting COVID-24 for the new year. Oh, yeah, thank you. It, it kind of felt like it. That, oh, that is kind yeah. of what it felt like. Yeah, I got a cold over Thanksgiving that delayed the podcast and then COVID immediately after my cold. And you also got three colds back to back, none of which were COVID. <laughs> none of which were COVID. I'm glad about that. Yeah, well, actually, I'm, I mean, I didn't get confirmation but i'm pretty sure it was the flu twice and then i had a cold i am now well and it feels so good (laughs) i love it if you come to new york in this time of the early 2024s everybody is coughing all the time and even now that i am well i am still coughing occasionally Mm -hmm. at the news outlets i've read are just like yeah everybody's coughing that's crazy it's like (laughs) oh god we live in a society or whatever yeah (laughs) i'm glad that you're on the mend yes yes i'm feeling better i do still have a little bit of a cough but other than that back to normal for the most part anyway now after our illness we're back with something a little shorter a little simpler in storyline which is certain women which was recommended to us by emu yeah oh my god we got a very nice email from emu and they were so incredibly kind as well and also had a bunch of resources that they wanted to share with us so big big shout out to you Mm -hmm. thank you so much seriously this was a lifesaver we needed something and this fit perfect yes yeah it it very much matched the vibe which was like a, a very peaceful viewing experience i had never heard of it yeah, I had also never heard of it. It's a 2016 film by Kelly Reichart, who is a director that's most known for having like a very, very minimalist style and doing films uh, primarily about rural communities and also in a trend of what's called uh, slow cinema, which is a style that focuses on having very minimal dialogue and narrative, but the focus is more so on how you observe the characters and feel the emotions that they're feeling and how you can portray that as an actor without using a lot of words to do it. And I feel like the casting was just so perfect for this movie too. so good. It was a really good movie. I was amazed that I had never heard of it before. I know. Oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect going in. I just knew that it was three different stories. Mm -hmm. I kind of expected it to, like, intersect a bit more, but what it is is perfect and beautiful. And this had me, like, absolutely enraptured the entire time. Yep, me too. I I will say I lost a little bit of steam in the second story. I did not connect with that one as much. But the first and the third stories I really, really connected with. So Oh, that's... Okay. I did have... (laughs) 
After the movie was over, I did turn to my girlfriend and be like, I think I might be heterophobic because like only the last story really resonated with me. <laughs> that And that's fine. I feel a, a special connection to this movie as being a queer person from a small community, but I can get into that later. Yeah. For right now, we should talk about what the plot is about. Um, so that as we're as we're talking through some of these nitty gritty details, there's kind of a foundation for those of you who have not seen it. But if you like quiet, peaceful movies, if you are a fan of cinema, would really recommend this. It's it's a good movie for sure. Yeah, and this is the lesbian pining content that I would go so far to say I have been pining for. <laughs> There are so many le- like movies that feature lesbians that just end with just and, and they were happily ever after. And you know what? That's great. I really need those some days. And then also some days I need to see like lesbians that are heartbroken. Yes. <laughs> and alone. I don't get spoilers. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, this movie has some some themes of gun violence and, and one hostage situation depicted. Uh, there's also some general themes about sexism, and a, a big theme of the movie is loneliness and also rejection, and there's also a little bit of cheating that's hinted here. So I would say that those are the only really real content warnings. But to be quite honest, for a hostage situation involving a gun, it doesn't feel that tense. No, no, it's very low-key. Yeah. <laughs> In Certain Women, there are three stories about three different women who all have ties to the city of Livingston, Montana. The first story follows Laura Wells, who is played by Laura Dern. And Laura is an attorney who lives in Livingston. And as we start her story, she wakes up in the morning. She says goodbye to a man who's in her apartment and he's getting ready dressed to leave, too. And she gets to work at the law office and she's been helping out this client who has just been totally exhausting her. The client, whose name is Fuller, is experiencing a workplace injury that was fully due to his employer's negligence. And it has given him double vision and a permanent disability that has made it impossible for him to work. So for the past eight months, Laura has been constantly repeating to Fuller that because he had accepted a settlement, even though it was a very small amount of money, in doing so, he forfeited his right to sue them for negligence. But he never seems to hear her. So she takes him to meet with a male attorney in Billings, which is a larger town that's about two hours away from Livingston. When this attorney repeats literally everything that Laura has been saying for the last eight months, Fuller just says, okay, and then he leaves. And she's very relieved and Laura starts driving home and she makes a stop for lunch when Fuller's wife drives up next to her car and Fuller gets out really angrily. Then he climbs into Laura's car and says, I'm riding with you. While they're on the ride home, he makes comments about how he wishes that his wife would die and that he should get a gun and kill everyone. Laura then threatens to kick him out of the car and he says that he'll be quiet. And later that night, Laura's totally exhausted. She's like laying spread eagled in bed uh, on her stomach when she gets a phone call. Cut to Fuller's old office where there's a massive police response. He has taken the security guard hostage with a shotgun. And the police then put Laura in a bulletproof vest and they send her in to try to talk Fuller down and to give himself up. Even though some of the officers are like, this doesn't really seem like a very good idea. <laughs> he's also angry at her so yeah they have a hostage negotiator there who is like this 
this we're not supposed to do this this seems like a really bad idea and then the police chief or whatever head police officer is like no he's a great guy i mean like before the head injury but like he's still a good guy yeah very unbelievable but also totally believable for yeah, small actually. town police yeah to be like yeah we have an expert um anyway don't care anything about what the expert says so yeah <laughs> um anyway once laura gets inside fuller instructs her to go get his hr file and read it aloud to him she sits on the floor and reads the file including letters that she had that she had written to him and again those letters just reiterate that he has no case laura encourages fuller to give himself up to the police and he refuses but he does let this security guard go he then agrees to let laura go as well but only if she pretends that he's holding her at gunpoint in order to give him an opportunity to escape out the back of the building because there are no police in the back which is true because <laughs> he asked them to not put police in the back and they were like okay <laughs> yeah unbelievable so fuller then leaves his gun inside the building and he heads out the back door laura then walks out the front door and says hey you guys fuller's out back also he's unarmed yeah. <laughs> so later Laura goes to meet Fuller in prison and she brings him a milkshake and a burger Fuller says that his wife has now left him after she met another man through a prison pen pal system <laughs> he asks Laura if she ever got his letters and when Laura apologizes and says that she meant to write back uh, but she didn't know what to say Fuller then tells her that he just looks forward to getting mail in general and that it helps him feel less lonely and that he could write to her about literally anything even just the weather and Laura says that she can do that man so kind of um a funny beat to this one a little bit right there's some some ironic funny moments i think that kept this one really light for me and i think that's why i like this one a little bit more than story number two. Oh no i i liked this one a lot um i forgot to there was one moment where i just like laughed out loud at this like completely dry line i think it might have been in the car when fuller is saying i'm gonna shoot everybody and she's like, you can't say that. Like, if you like, I'm going to let you out like right here. And then he's like, no, no, I'll be quiet. And then she's like, exasperated, like, I'm your lawyer. <laughs> I was like, this really got me. I know. Yeah. Laura Dern is amazing in this. She's so good. Oh, my God. I don't know that much about Laura Dern, quite honestly. Me neither. You know what is a movie that Laura Dern is featured in that I keep thinking i need to watch and then i keep not watching is uh jurassic park the original ones oh yeah yeah it's so good too oh and she's in big little lies i was like why does she look so familiar mm -hmm. she used to be roommates with uh i'm i'm not sorry now i'm on the laura dern wiki just deep diving <laughs> laura dern used to be roommates with marianne williamson the political candidate do you remember what no she was the presidential candidate oh okay she was she was one of the democratic party candidates in the primaries she was like marianne williamson was like unhinged she was one of the ones who was like what are you talking about like <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i just add that's all i remember american politics at its finest anyway the second story is about one gina lewis so Gina Lewis is is played by Michelle Williams, who do you are you that familiar with Michelle Williams? I don't think so. 
I really was not that familiar with Michelle Williams until somewhat recently because she was the one who narrated Britney Spears' autobiography recently. She's a friend of Britney Spears. Yeah, she also um, is very well known for playing Marilyn Monroe in the movie My Week with Marilyn. Mm, That I can definitely see. And she used to be one of the leading roles in Dawson's Creek. But it's considered that like her breakthrough role was actually in Brokeback Mountain. So she kind of has this history and she's been working with the director of this movie, uh, Kelly Reichardt, for for a long time. But she has this history of doing movies kind of like this that are the slow, minimalist, rural style movies. Um, but she she's been she's done kind of everything, though, too. So oh, yeah, she was in But I'm a Cheerleader. Really? Yeah. As as the character Kimberly. <laughs> I'm just looking this up now. I can't remember who that is. I, I, yeah, I still haven't seen, but I'm a cheerleader. Isn't that crazy? Oh my God. We got to do that for the podcast. I'm turning 30 years old and I still haven't seen it. Also notable Michelle Williams role. She was the girlfriend in Venom. (laughs) Oh, I haven't seen Venom actually. I think I, I think I might like it. I think, I think I might like Venom. I think Venom's actually so good. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Gina Lewis, played by Michelle Williams, is living with her husband, Ryan Lewis, and uh, their daughter, uh, and they're living in a tent in the woods while they're building a home on their new property, which I believe is like their vacation home. Um, And Ryan Lewis is also familiar to us because he was the man that was leaving Laura's apartment from the first story. Mm -hmm. So Ryan, we know, is having an affair. But Aaron, to be quite honest, I didn't even recognize that it was the same guy until after... Erin, I'm so glad that you said that. I had the same experience. I was going to keep that to myself, but I was, if you're going to say it, I'm going to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't expect me to remember a man. <laughs> I know who's there for one second. Right. But yes. So uh, Gina is a very focused, very goal-oriented person, and she's also a little bit brash. And she really butts heads with uh, her daughter, who is feeling like Gina doesn't listen to her or trust her. And Gina is also butting heads with her husband, but not because she knows about the affair, but because she feels like he is undermining her whenever he talks to their daughter and is a little bit more lenient with her. So the two of them, Gina and Ryan, they meet with this older man that they know. Perhaps he's a neighbor, uh, perhaps a distant family member. And they're talking about how he had a fall recently. And then they bring up that they would like to buy this pile of sandstone bricks that he has in his front lawn because they would like to use them to build their house. And he hesitates and it kind of seems like he doesn't want to sell. He explains the history, like where the bricks came from. I believe he says that they came from a demolished schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he tentatively agrees to sell. Ryan reiterates repeatedly that, that he doesn't have to sell the bricks if he doesn't want to, like if there's an emotional connection, whatever. And Gina, as they're leaving, says that they'll give him some time to think it over. And as they leave his house, they invite the man to come visit them when their house is finished being built. So as they leave, Gina reveals that she had been recording that conversation and she makes a comment about Ryan insisting that the man didn't need to sell. Like, kind of like, why'd you keep saying that? Like, we <laughs> yeah. want to buy these. Um, then she admits that she herself wasn't even sure if she wanted to take them because it seemed like he was so hesitant. Yeah. And she's just kind of staring off out the car window into the distance as she's talking to him. So later we see Gina, Ryan, and a team of boys loading all the sandstone into a pickup truck while the man silently watches from inside of his window in his house. 
And then even later, we see the sandstone yet again, just in a big pile in the grass. But now it's on Gina and Ryan's property. And it's got it's got little flags in it for supposedly distincting like where it'll go. Yes. And Gina has made burgers and nobody even says thank you as she passes around burgers to everybody. Yep. And then she goes to her car and she she has a drink and a cigarette. Yeah. It's a rough one for Gina. This is a rough one for Gina. I will admit, I didn't really get this one, Erin. That's fair. I like want to get into the last story so bad. This one I I can kind of understand is like a story of unfulfillment. Yeah. Like this guy, he wanted to use the bricks to make himself a back patio. But at this point, you know, he's saying like, I just had a fall. I'm like 70 something years old. It's years old. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen. I will give you these bricks and they can have a new life as your wall in your house. And then and we have Gina who is unfulfilled in her relationship where her husband, like she's like, we've had this conversation with this man like a million times and he seems to resonate like more with you than he does with me. Can you do the talking? Yeah. And then once they get in there, the husband says nothing basically until he's like, well, actually, you don't have to sell to us if you don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> man i know and there's also kind of this theme too of this story compared to some of the other stories about like being unfulfilled but trying to seek your fulfillment from the quiet life yeah yeah but then it's like almost a little bit more like they're more interested in the optics of it because one i remember one thing they say when they're talking to him is like well, we want these sandstone bricks because we want that our house to be authentic to the local area. I read one article that described the two of them as yuppies. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, all of these are like, I was hypnotized by all of these. Yeah. But this one, I don't know. Let's just talk about the lesbians. Who cares about Gina and your problems? <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about story number three. This truly is the one that we're here for. So yeah. <laughs> um, this story is about the ranch hand. So a nameless woman who's played by Lily Gladstone works on a ranch in Belfry, which is a location in Montana that's so small that Google considers it not to be a town or even a village, but instead a place um, with a population of roughly 243 people as of 2016. And while the ranch hand doesn't have a name in the film, the director has since referred to her as Jamie. So mm -hmm. that's what I'll use to talk about her here. Yeah. And I think Lily Gladstone is also referred to her as Jamie. Mm -hmm. So Jamie lives in total isolation in Belfry in the Montana winter, uh, just doing chores around the ranch. Her only company is her corgi, the horses, and watching late night documentaries about space from her bed. <laughs> While she's driving around one night, it just seems like she's kind of looking to kill time. She sees several cars that are pulling into a local school. So she just decides, hey, I'll follow them. Might as well. <laughs> so she sits down for a late night class on education law, which is taught by a captivating young lawyer, Beth Travis, played by a very socially anxious looking Kristen Stewart. <laughs> and Jamie stays for the whole class, even though she doesn't know anything about law and ha really has no need to know about education law. And she lingers after the class to talk to Beth after and as they're both leaving the building, Beth asks if there's anywhere to eat in Belfry, and Jamie offers to lead her way to the diner if Beth will just follow her truck. So once they get there, they sit down together. Jamie orders nothing, and Beth orders a burger and an ice cream sundae. 
Beth talks really quickly, like she's in a she's in a deep rush about how she's a new lawyer at a small law firm and she's just getting the worst of the worst jobs. She agreed to teach this class on education law, even though she knows absolutely nothing on the subject, because she initially had thought that it would just be one town over and she didn't realize that it was actually a four hour drive each way. Yeah. So she's really she really wants to try to find someone local that can take it over for her, um, someone who won't have quite as much of a drive. And she talks and eats so quickly that she doesn't even unwrap the silverware uh, in order to use the napkin. <laughs> she just wipes her face on the bundled up silverware. It, she has a four hour drive. She's got to go. I know, she's got to go. <laughs> it's like 10 o'clock at night. And um, the whole time, Jamie is just listening intently and not saying anything and just looks totally smitten by her. So Jamie keeps attending the class and they keep going to the diner. Uh, And one time, Jamie actually brings one of the horses and invites Beth to ride on the horse to the diner with her. And in my opinion, Beth doesn't look too amazed or blown out of the water by this romantic gesture, quite honestly. (laughs) And that night, after yet another rushed late night dinner, uh, Beth very curtly asked Jamie, can you take me back to my car? (laughs) So the next week, Jamie shows up to the class only to find that a replacement has been hired. And Jamie instantly walks out and she immediately does the four hour drive to Livingston. She walks around the town looking for Beth and she sleeps overnight in her truck. The next morning, she goes to one of the local law firms asking around for Beth, and they call another law firm in town to try to figure out if that's where she works. So Jamie goes over to Beth's office, and she waits for her there. And then when she sees Beth park, Jamie gets out of her car to go greet her. And the two women stand very awkwardly and silently in the cold, windy parking lot. And Jamie says that she just had to come to Livingston because she didn't think that she would ever see Beth again if she didn't, um, and that she missed her, her in her class. And Beth doesn't really respond. They just stand there. So Jamie turns around and she leaves. And on her drive home, she falls asleep at the wheel, but she very peacefully drifts off of the road into a wide open field with a beautiful view of a mountain. And later we see Jamie is again working alone on the ranch. Dude, the lesbian experience is getting heartbroken and then just slowly drifting off the road into a beautiful field. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Universal experience. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't realize this, that may or may not be a nod to Haunting of Hill House, which I also have not seen, but I've been meaning to watch. Oh, yeah. Recommended by Hoops. Our good friend, Hoops, friend of the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not that familiar with that, but hopefully we'll come around to Haunting of Hill House sometime soon. I, w- I would like to do it, maybe for our next Halloween season. I know that's a long ways off, but... Yeah. In one article I was reading about that, it made reference to Haunting of Hill House as similar kind of story about pining, but more tragedy-based. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which... Which, oh my god, this story is so good. This is maybe one of the things that we've watched that I've, like, resonated with the most. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Do you feel like you've you've kind of, I feel like just from what I know about you, you've kind of been in both of these people's shoes. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe. Yeah, actually, you're right. I guess I was just looking at it from the rancher slash Jamie's standpoint. And I have a I have a story that I don't think I've told on the podcast, which I had forgotten about. And I guess I will tell now that um, back when I worked as a waitress, 
I had a big crush on one of my coworkers. And even after I left that job, like I was still friends with this coworker and we would hang out sometimes. And again, I had like a big, big crush on them. And so I was like not confident enough at that point. I think I was like 18 to like tell this person I have a crush on you. But <laughs> for Valentine's Day, I like texted them. I was like, oh, hey, like, when are you getting off work? And then once they got off work, I was I had made like handmade chocolate covered pretzels and I was like going to give them to them as like a like a friend's Valentine's Day gift or like but maybe they would know that it was like something more. But it ended up being really busy at the restaurant and so they didn't get off work. But they were also a really big flake and just kind of spacey. And so I went over to their car to just put the chocolates on their car because I had to go. But I realized that their car was unlocked. And so I put the chocolates in their car and then I locked their car door. But I also, in my haste in doing this, forgot that I didn't actually sign a note <laughs> on the chocolates. And so they just came out to their locked car that then had chocolates in it. And yeah, and I had completely forgotten about this experience. <laughs> yeah. And then this brought it all back up. This brought it all back. That Aaron, that story is one of the ones I remember about you. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a classic Aaron story. <laughs> <laughs> You know, somebody cut in their jeans into jorts and also the locked chocolates in the car. What a colorful dating history. Not even dating, but... <laughs> Not even dating, just crushes. Love history. <laughs> Getting crushed. <laughs> but man, yeah. And it's also really interesting, I think, in this to see different interpretations because the person I gave chocolates to did not reciprocate my feelings or I, I'm like 90%. I, I would say actually I'm 100% sure of that. I think... If they knew, they would have they would have known, you know? Yeah. But also in watching this story within this, I'm like, oh, you know, Christian Stewart Beth on the back of the horse, she doesn't look unhappy because she doesn't want to necessarily be on this horse. She's unhappy because she's she needs to tell uh, Jamie that she's not going to be doing this job anymore. And, you know, it's not that the two of them, like, can't be together because they don't like each other it's just like the wrong space at the wrong time but it's it is interesting to hear the like in other articles and with i feel like what you iterated the other angle of it which is you know beth is not interested yeah <laughs> which i think is totally fair i got the vibe that she was not interested and i mean yeah. you get that vibe because she never once asked jamie a single question about herself right she only ever talks about herself she doesn't know anything yeah and yeah the fact that jamie doesn't even have a name in the movie she has her a couple questions <laughs> here's me getting defensive <laughs> okay okay no i'm um, kidding i'm kidding you're you are right you are right <laughs> yeah uh she, it really doesn't appear that she's taking an interest in in her life at all and i feel like yeah the reason she doesn't say when they're at the diner oh yeah i like am finding a replacement for real is because she doesn't think anything of Jamie. Like, yeah. of course she wouldn't think to tell her because she doesn't think that any of this matters. Alternatively, there's the interpretation of like, maybe she would be interested, but she's afraid to tell Jamie for some reason. When you get to the scene, though, when they're standing in the parking lot with the wind blowing and Jamie is trying kind of to confess her feelings, but she doesn't even have the words to really say it. You just, I just got the vibe that Beth was like almost blindsided by that and that it be had become like an awkward situation where she's like, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in reading like 
Lily Gladstone like talking about doing the scene and stuff like that. Like I definitely think that was the vibe. Mm-hmm. Also reading Travis B, the short story that this was based off of, you get a lot more inner thought from the main character in that and you can see that he's like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. This was a mistake. <laughs> but I think the like the pining part of me, I guess, still like waiting in the behind the restaurant, like for my friend to get off work so I can give them chocolates. It's still like Beth is a more experienced person and knows that like a four hour drive for like a beginning of a relationship in a small town like is not going to work ever. And yeah. it's it's like a non-start whether or not she's interested or not. Yeah. It's a wrong time, wrong moment. But Beth, who is more experienced, can see that and has that sight as opposed to Jamie, who hasn't had these relationships before and doesn't mm-hmm. have the experience to to just know not to even start with this. <laughs> yeah. And as a queer person in a town of less than 300 people. Yeah. Like how would she know right yeah of course did you get a chance to read uh travis b i didn't i like skimmed it but i didn't read it in full i was very interested by the fact that uh it is not a lesbian story it's not so there was a change here from short story to film adaptation yeah so the main character in travis b is named chet and uh he is a man And uh, instead of having a broken wrist like Jamie does in the movie, he has a bad hip slash leg from surviving polio as a child. And uh, another notable difference I found in the story was that instead of it being like a four hour drive to the city, it was a nine hour drive. (laughs) Yeah, nine and a half hour drive. So Beth is like delirious from like not sleeping at all because she would just like go from her job to this job straight to her job. (laughs) Yep. And also uh, after getting off the horse, uh, Chet kisses the hand of Beth and then kisses her cheek and then Beth pulls away like before he can like give her a real kiss Mm -hmm. Uh, but in that story too there's also themes of like not having experience in relationships and also this being a sad experience but also one that kind of broadens the horizon and at the end of the short story Chet is basically saying like I wish that I had more experience with women going into this but I do have that experience now Mm -hmm. and one of the lines that really got me was that you know Chet is is thinking to himself like there's not a lot of people in town uh with my first and last name and Beth is a lawyer and the quote is uh she could find him if she wanted but she wouldn't and that was the thing that made him ache oh yeah, I, I that like that one really hit me. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's like a good ache, you know. This yeah. is what I want from my pining. It's like Beth is so focused on starting her career that there's no space for anything else, which is fair. Yeah, and it makes sense too. Like with a nine-hour, I mean, even with a four-hour drive, it's like how could you possibly think about anything else after that? Yeah. When you're, <laughs> well, and two, it's 2016, so it's not like long distance relationships aren't a thing at that yeah. point, you know? But, but who's, who starts a long distance relationship with somebody that they've had two, like, maybe half hour, 
like sit downs with at a restaurant. <laughs> you would be texting them, but they never exchange phone numbers. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. why. That's why. That um, was that was another thing that happens in the short story is that when uh, Chet goes to town, he looks up Beth's phone number in the phone book and he writes it down. And then after this whole exchange, when he's back at the ranch, he memorizes the phone number, but then he crumples up and throws away the piece of paper that it was on. Oh. Yeah. Kind of like you can hold it in your heart forever. Yeah. You know, even though, you know, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, it's just tasty. It's good. <laughs> oh, I'm eating. <laughs> I, so I feel like... It- I have been a queer person living in a small town, though, to be fair, the towns that I lived in were closer to the size of Livingston, which mm-hmm. is the size of the town that Beth's living in here. Towns of, you know, about 10,000 people, give or take a little bit less sometimes, sometimes more like five or 6,000 people. And the smallest town that I've lived in has had like 1500 people yeah (laughs) and when you're living in a space with even 10,000 people and you're a queer person it is so 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 hard to find other queer people that you connect with and my perspective living through that situation for most of my life was with the perspective of like there is never I'm never going to find the person that I want to be with in my region. It is not going to happen. I have to accept mm. that I'm going to have to look in other spaces and look in communities much further away than me in order to meet somebody. So I can really see, even if that's never explicitly stated here, I can see that mindset in Jamie where it's like, yeah, this girl is from four and a half hours away, but that's not a deal breaker because there's only 200 people in my town. We can make this work. <laughs> we, exactly. We can make this work. I'll drive. Clearly, she she was willing to drive. She drove, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but then again, without having the life experience, without, you know, just being able to outright say it hey, I'm interested in you. There's nothing that Beth can even respond to. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um. Another take that I read was that the scene in the parking lot could really come off as creepy. Yes. Um, yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It comes off just like two people who have kind of this like miscommunication. Yeah. Obviously, they know each other. And so it's not creepy at that point. Yeah, this is one of the things that I think the context really gets shifted from changing Chet to Jamie, uh, because there is a moment in the, or there's a couple moments even in the short story where Chet is like very aware of the fact that he is a man and Beth is a woman. And like he part of the reason why he brings the horse is because he knows that she's not going to get in a car with him Um, (laughs) as like it is a romantic gesture, but also like. You don't have to get in a car with me. (laughs) Like, we're going to go on my horse. But even in in the short story, the last moments doesn't seem creepy to me, just the way it's written. Yeah. It's just sad. Yeah, it's just sad. Uh, The other thing, too, is in the movie, we see as Jamie is pulling out, uh, like, she takes one last look at Beth, and Beth is talking to, like, a man in the lobby area of the law firm and then after that we just get this two minute shot of jamie driving away and and just like kind of like not crying but like breaking down (laughs) yeah i read an interview in vanity fair with um reichardt the director who um 
the the interviewer said she was driving in her truck for two and a half minutes. I timed it following <laughs> the scene in the parking lot where Kristen Stewart's character has kind of blown her off and her face as she drives, the way we see her both feeling and repressing her pain, and then it just keeps going. And then the director responded, that shot went on even longer than that. I was on the floor of the cab yelling at Lily not to cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> we were not on a car rig. She was driving that truck that stalled out all the time and she had to do things to keep it running. <laughs> and then the interviewer said, was that by design some kind of method trick you pulled on, you played on her? And the director said, no, it was just an old shitty truck. <laughs> but it worked in the same way that having animals in a film does. Blah, 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 blah. Lily was driving through real traffic. There were red lights. She had to make turns. And this heavy thing had just happened to her, to her character. And for Lily, in real life, the movie was a big deal. And doing the final scene with Kristen was a big deal to her. She was going to go home the next day to Missoula, and the experience was going to be over for her. I mean, Lily is Lily. I have no responsibility over the magic of Lily. And Lily kills it. Yeah. This entire movie. They did an amazing job. Do they use they them pronouns? Yeah. So Lily is, oh. Lily Gladstone is non-binary. They use she, her, and they them pronouns. So Lily Gladstone this movie was really her breakthrough role. She had had a couple of other roles before this, but this really put her on the map. She went on after this to star in the Scorsese movie, Killers of a Flower Moon. Yeah, mm -hmm. which I haven't seen, but I w I've heard is really good. Yes, same. I've been wanting to watch it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I learned that she actually became an actress because when she was five, she really wanted to play an Ewok in Star Wars, which <gasps> oh was really God. cute. Yeah. So. Wow. But yeah, just... An unbelievably believable performance. This this movie, every single character in this movie, but especially Jamie, the character, it, you see that these characters and it's like, I know this person. If you've lived in yeah. a small town, you know this exact person. Laura, I feel like, is just such another good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Fuller, too. Yeah, everybody did. Yeah, everybody did such a phenomenal job. I also, I do love a Christian Stewart moment. I, yes. I can't help it. The director also said about the Christian Stewart scene in, in the parking lot. When we did that scene in the parking lot, it was insanely wind, windy. Kristen could not keep her dress from blowing up over her head. And I knew it was going to be hard for sound. But also, wind is great. I said, let's go for it. We can make the sound work. And the wind will just add something to the scene. And then uh, she said, Kristen, in life, her leg shakes. She's a fast talker. To see how a scene starts and her metabolism suddenly seems different. I don't know how you perform that. Uh, <laughs> the question was always, is Kristen too big for this role? And will that be too distracting? And I was blown away by her. I just thought she was so generous to Lily. She had no problem being the quiet receiver of something and making herself smaller in a way. She gives really a lot in that moment in the small way she's so still that's so such a good description mm -hmm. also kelly haven't you seen the incredible hit movie uh oh uh lizzie yeah lizzie <laughs> um well it, what i have to say to you aaron is that lizzie came out two years after certain women so wow well <laughs> that <laughs> So there's your answer. Honestly, I mean, we've seen a couple of Christian Stewart movies on this podcast at this point. The Lizzie Borden movie might be the one that, like, I think is closest to her performance in this. <laughs> well, I was also thinking about Clouds of Seal Maria. Yeah, yeah. And that movie was two years before Certain Women. 
Yeah. But that is another movie where she plays like, you know, kind of this quiet, quote unquote, unassuming assistant who then has like a breakdown at the end and is like, um, you're ridiculous. And also bye and then just disappears forever. Right. Another movie where Christian Stewart is having lesbian romantic feelings pressed upon her and she must kind of react slash non-react. She must bow out. (laughs) She's got to go. Yeah. She's got a four hour drive ahead of her. Down that mountain with the... um, Down that mountain. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Clouds of Silmaria. That movie is really good too also yeah another one about unrequited lesbian feelings but in a weirder way than this yeah the other thing that this made me think of that we've talked about on the podcast is gunjo um just so much in the fact that that we have an unnamed lesbian character Mm -hmm. which again i love that idea portrayed in stories like this where it is so Mm -hmm. one-to-one and again, when you're with somebody, you're not saying their name constantly. Yeah. Like we talked about with Rebecca. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I love, I love that use of that here. I think it was really strong. I don't really have anything else to say about this movie. That's, I think that's fair. I loved this though. It was so good. Yeah, me too. I also really liked it. Just again, viewed at the perfect time in the winter in a peaceful moment, in a returning to home moment for me. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. After your nine hour drive, how long is it? No, Aaron, no. It's like a five and a half hour drive. Oh, oh perfect. Very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very. very oh, after a five kind of hour drive. <laughs> yeah, after a five hour drive. Man. Well, I love that for you. <laughs> yes. And then I got home and I from my drive and I watched this. So you see, as somebody who hates driving, like if I had to drive that much, I can't imagine thinking about anybody else or anything else if I had to do that. Yeah. What you would not be thinking about Jamie, the ranch no. hand. Yeah, it, it, like like somebody could get down on their hands and knees and like propose to me and I would be like, I can't believe I have to drive. <laughs> I can't believe I have to drive eight hours a day, two yeah, days a week. I, you I gotta find somebody else. <laughs> got to get somebody to take over uh i guess just again to finish it out thank you so much emu for suggesting this and mm-hmm. also for all of the awesome resources that you sent us those were heavily we didn't really name too many of the things specifically but i know that was like a big part of my notes and research for this mm-hmm. episode so like thank you so 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 much if you have an idea especially if it has to do with a lesbian pining and you would like to send it into us you can email us at aaron at gaysgaze.com and you can also still contact us on twitter at gaysgaze uh due to the sickness our schedule's gotten kind of messed up recently so we are looking for new things to watch. Mm-hmm. And my cat just started attacking my door during that story oh my God. while I was talking. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear that. <laughs> and uh, I believe that for our next episode, which we should be back on track, hopefully now, barring any other illnesses or situations, <laughs> um, we should for our next episode be doing the manga applause, which I'm very excited to read. Oh, me too. Applause is a manga from 1981 and 1982 that's by Kyoko Ariyoshi, and it's a love story between two dancers, one whose name, um, Junak, 
who's a relative of the Belgian royal family. And then there's Shara, who's a Japanese transfer student. And they're going to a private girls' school in Belgium. Ooh, Belgium! Yeah, they're two dancers falling in love. But then later in the story, I guess the, it moves to New York City, baby. But yeah, this is like a lesser known vintage Yuri manga. Not super lesser known, but it, it, I'm looking at it on my anime list and on the manga section, its popularity ranking is 33,248. And only 199 people have marked it as red, okay. which is a very, very small population. So I'm hoping that maybe this brings it to a little bit more wider of an audience. You know how yeah. I feel about reading the older Yuri manga. So so yeah, I'm excited. I have read it once before, but it's been years. So I'm excited to go back and reread it. I'm excited to read it for the first time. And also, before we close out, I want to give thanks to Kate and Leslie of Neon and Nude for allowing us to use their songs Look in Love and You Pretty Thing for our intro and our outro music. You can and should buy their album at neonandnude.bandcamp.com, but you can also stream it on Spotify. Mm -hmm. Until next week, I'm Erin. And I'm Erin. And we're gay. Maybe next week there will be a replacement. Oh. <laughs> A replacement? Yeah, a replacement teacher for our lesbian oh, um, for the podcast. podcast. <laughs> oh my god. What if we what if the podcast started and we were like and we were both named Beth? <laughs> oh my god, no. <laughs> I mean, bye. No. Bye. <laughs> if you love her like I love her.